You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. And I need to say, those of you first time, long time, whatever, even with the doctrine of the virgin birth, this may be the first time in utero has ever been said at, uh, from the pulpit, <laughs> from, the, uh, from the platform at Grace Community Church. I love Scott. I love it when he's sharing stuff. I love spending time with him, talking with him. We're analogy. We, one analogy begets another, and it just goes on and on and on. So, again, welcome to Grace. Um, Scott led us beautifully in, in the prayer time, not only for David, and I'll mention how all of this ties in a little bit later, but... Also for April, and you know, there are just so many people right now who are going through very difficult time. Mike Chapman's dad just passed. Debbie Nelson's mom is, uh, is in really tough shape, and Daryl has come down from Alaska. Um, so the end could be near for her. And Ellie Wall, I just heard uh, this week has been really sick, and I'm so sorry, Ellie. And glad that you're here. I'm so very glad that you're here. And others, I know I'm, 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 I'm leaving some out. That's one of the reasons I don't respond on the city to prayer requests is because sure as the world, I'll leave something out. And, and I don't want you to think like that. I often will text or be in touch another way. But um, it's, it's a difficult time. It's been an interesting week for our family two, <clears throat> two days ago, Friday. March the 3rd, 2017, marked nine years since my beloved Linda Fail Talley, our beloved Linda Fail Talley, passed from death to life, to real life, after 13 months of battling a glioblastoma. And then I saw Jeff had the uh, um, prayer request on the day for a young, young man. Glioblastoma is pretty much a death sentence. It just is. Um, they do some experimental work and life is extended for a little bit, but for the most part, if you've got glio, a glioblastoma, brain tumor, unless the Lord very specifically intervenes, it is uh, not going to be long while you're here in this life. I, I am a much better person for having been married to Linda Fail Tally. I am a much better person now in equal measure being married to Allison Cotton Tally. That is a beautiful thing, isn't it? To say that you're a better person because of your spouse. So here's the question I want to ask you. How are you making your spouse a better person? There is an answer, and let me give you a hint. It doesn't include instruction. You may think, uh, oh, yes, well, I just need to double down on what I'm telling her. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> it. It's hard to believe that Linda has been gone for nine years. 
In, in those early days, there were times of sadness and loneliness that were so deep, I just thought I would die. But I knew that I was never really alone. I, mean, I received comfort from the Lord, and he's, His presence sustained me in those days. And I learned a whole lot about the grieving process. Grieving, there are all stages that we go through, and yet somehow they're all mixed up. That Grieving is very similar, and yet it's unique because the stages may come and go, and you don't know what's going to make you feel sad or make you feel happy when you think back uh, to what all has been going on. <clears throat> Or to, to what happened in, in your past. But, but grief is very common and it's very unique all at the same time. In many ways, our family grieved for 13 months. They gave Linda three to four. <clears throat> and it was 13 months that, that she lived. And, and, and so we were grieving her loss all along the way. Now, there were times, I remember a time late in the process where <clears throat> Ted McKinney and and Jim McLaughlin and, and all of the elders, Scott, we were just gathered at, at, at my house. And we prayed believing just with passion that the Lord would heal her. But he didn't. <clears throat> and you know what? <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's much rarer that he chooses to heal someone in that condition than he, he does. See, I, I knew I would think, I, I look at Sarah, I know her mom is struggling Sarah Painter, so many of you are going through these, all of these thoughts and, and, and questions about why does God do certain things and not sometimes in, and not at others. I, I have concluded over time that, you know, we think, talk about the gospel in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We also think about creation, how God created through fiat, let there be, and through process, let the earth sprout. And medicine is part of that process of God doing his work in the world as we grow and understand. But it doesn't always work. And sometimes, every once in a while, God steps in and, 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 and does a miracle. And everybody rejoices. But even so, death is going to reign. And death is going to come upon every one of us. Sooner or later, we die. Lazarus was resurrected and he had to die again. So, um, but when God does do a miracle, it's, it's, it's just a little picture of what life is going to be like. It's going to be perfect one day. And there's not anybody that we have lost who knows the Lord that would choose to come back. There's an eternal joy in the presence of our Lord that we're going to be in. One day. But we're all looking for comfort. In our grief. One of the. Books that was very popular. Right about the time Linda. Got sick and, and, and then. Passed away was. William Paul Young's book. Called The Shack. I, I imagine that many of you read the book. I did. I, I read the book. Not long after it was released. And, and Allison and I went to the movie yesterday. The movie's just come out these past couple of days. And so we went to the movie. Because I'm going to talk about some of the misguided theology that is presented in this story. And it's important. You know, if you're going to talk about it, you need to read the book. And you need to, to see 
the movie. Although I find much in, in the story that is emotionally satisfying and comforting. There are theological errors in his portrayal of God, in Paul Young's portrayal of God that, that are of serious concern. Now, if you've been here long enough at Grace, then I would think you would agree with me that our thinking and our belief, that the way that we think about God, the way we understand Him, the way we believe about God is so much more important than the way we feel or the way we want Him to make us feel. A few weeks ago in Romans 10, we, we read about the importance of not watering down the gospel by saying something like, hey, just, just so long as you accept Jesus as your Savior, you can worry about Jesus as Lord later on. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Is Jesus truly Lord of any of our lives? Well, yes, and that that's who he is. And no, and that none of us ever follows him and obeys him perfectly. One day we will. One day we're going to look up and say, I knew that this is who I was. God told, always told me this is who I was. I didn't feel it during my time on earth, but it's, it's true. But even so, we come to God as he requires or we don't come at all. You come saying, Lord, I give my complete life to you or you don't come. It is equally true that we accept God as he has revealed himself in scripture or we are worshiping another God altogether. For instance, when someone says, don't we all worship the same God? I think that maybe the best answer is if yes, if we all worship Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three yet one, then yes, we all worship the same God. But of course, nobody else worships God in that in that way, in, in that understanding, according to that understanding, all other religions, all cults that have broken off from Orthodox Christian theology, think of the Trinity in different ways than we do. They, even if they say, well, there's a Trinity, but God created Jesus. Well, that's heresy. Um, so, it's important for those of us who follow Jesus to know this God we are proclaiming in this uh, series that we're talking about with outreach. When we're sharing the gospel, know this God that you're proclaiming. Look, we have limits to our understanding, and, and, and it's clear that God is patient with our misunderstanding or our, our, our limited understanding and our mischaracterizations about Him. The more we know about Him, the greater our responsibility uh, to speak accurately about the Lord. Even as our understanding grows, though, it's very important that we, that we proclaim this God with a spirit of humility and not a spirit of arrogance. Like, oh, that's just so wrong. You just don't know what you're talking about. So look, when, when I talk about a little bit later the shack this morning, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I, I, I don't want anybody to be offended, upset. I just want to proclaim the truth of Scripture, and, um, and, and get you to think critically about things that you hear uh, about God. Because this, uh, the movie came out this past weekend, and because so many will be talking about the theology of the movie, I'll spend much of the rest of our time thinking about the theological implications of the movie. Look, I hope you notice that even as I preach 
topical messages, I try to be very connected to the text and stay faithful to the text. And I'm going to stay faithful to the text this morning. But this is going to be the closest thing to ever read the text and depart therefrom. As you'll ever hear me preach, uh, the, the text absolutely informs our thinking about God. But then we'll deal with specific uh, issues about the story. But th- these issues come up over and over every day in our thinking about God and in our interactions with others about God. Look, if you have read the book or seen the movie, I get it that, that it ministered to you possibly at some level. It, there are parts of it that, that, that I say, touch me deeply. And there's a lot that Paul Young gets right about the Trinity. But the things that aren't so right are things that we need to, to, to think about. Because the, the errors about the Trinity in the story are, are, are not only uncomfortable for serious-minded believers, they're, they're erroneous and in some cases heretical. Now, it's important to note that there are different levels of heresy. In the early church, here are two uh, heresies, modalism, Arianism. Modalism said this, God exists as three, but he exists as one, but he manifests himself as three different persons, although never two at the same time. He's got the Father sometimes, he's got the Son sometimes, and he's got the Spirit. Um, that's a heresy. Is it a condemn you to hell heresy to believe that? Probably not. I, don't, I, I just don't think so. Um, here's another heresy from... The early church, Arianism. It's called that because of its leader, Arius, who said there was a time when Jesus was not. In other words, God created the Son. God the Father created the Son. Is that a condemn you to hell heresy? Yes, it is. If Jesus is not God, then none of this is true. Um, the, 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 the heresies that are in this book, The Shack, are not of the area, areas kind of heresies. It's more like modalism. It's just that they're incorrect thoughts. But look, I was talking with Scott about it before the service. And again, Mr. Analogy, he said, look, if there's a molecule, if there's a molecule, it grows, right? And it, so you, you, you have to understand where the errors are so that you can avoid them. <coughs> Because sooner or later, they will grow into major uh, heresies. Our our text this morning is 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16. As has often been the case in this sermon series on the topic of outreach, we enter the text in the middle of a larger thought. Uh, In today's text, the Apostle Paul has been warning his young disciple Timothy about the dangers of Uh, The love of money. In verse 10, he says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And please make sure you understand. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And that helps. That happens from the penthouse all the way to the worst slums of the world. The love of money is something that can grip every one of us. And we must be guard against it. Then beginning in verse 11... Paul encourages Timothy to cast his eyes heavenward. That that heavenward, that's where our true riches should lie. That's not such a bad place for us to begin. 
As is our custom, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, the love of money in particular. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. And by the way, the primary emphasis here is pure doctrine. Pure doctrine. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, there are so many of us uh, who are in pain, physical pain, emotional pain. Our hearts hurt. Our, our, our hearts hurt for the Moody's sitting on this front row who for years have, have struggled, I'm sure, at times to, to understand and, and God, we know that you call us to trust and, and we know that you know how hard that is for us to do. And so, Lord, even as we think about who you are and the comfort that can be found in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit and in your loving, gracious plan for our lives, Father, may we know you rightly. And love you and love people the way that you do. Open our eyes to the truth and the reality of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, there are two things we can say clearly uh, in this text about God. Uh, he is knowable and he is incomprehensible. Now, those seem contradictory, but they're not. God is knowable and he's incomprehensible. The theological term for these two characteristics of God uh, uh, in reverse order are transcendence and eminence. God is transcendent. He is far beyond our reach, and yet he is close at hand. He's imminent at the same time. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he is the son of man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Spirit make up the Trinity. One in essence, one nature, yet three persons. Each one with a unique role, though each one fully God. One of the things I really thought was great in this movie, I, uh, you'll see why I have problems with the, with the Father or the Spirit being portrayed by human beings. 
It's one of the differences between the shack and, the, and, and, and Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia is an allegory. And Aslan is the only per person of the Godhead that we see. And Jesus was made known to us. But <clears throat> Max says, so which one of you? And of course, the implication is, which one of you is God? And they all three say, I am at the same time. So there, like I say, there are things that are right about this story. Each one with a unique role, though each fully God. The fact that we cannot explain the Trinity is part of God's transcendence. The fact that we can articulate it as well as we can is part of his eminence. He made himself known to us. He wants us to know him to the level that he has revealed himself. But his greatness puts limitations on our understanding. For the first 1800 years of the church, the transcendence of God was emphasized. It was elevated far above his eminence. There, there was a great deal of talk about Jesus in those days, but the respect for God the holy God, the holy and righteous God as presented in Scripture was so great that his transcendence was the, the primary emphasis. The problem was that sometimes people were led to believe that God was so distant that he set this world in motion and then he kind of left it alone because he has more important things to think about. Many of our founding fathers of our nation, the founding fathers of our nation Believe like this. God is transcendent and he really doesn't have that much to do. But he's given us sort of a roadmap for how we're to live. And so they live with great integrity and great uh, respect for God. But they didn't really see him as entering into our everyday lives. Which is why that it, it, people like Benjamin Franklin and George Washington could be so comfortable being Masons. Where they thought that Jesus was created, not deity. So, the last 200 years, there has been a correction, a pendulum swing, just like we always do. And now the eminence of God or his nearness is emphasized. Look, we, this morning, as we sang the song, I raised my hand and I, 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 I just love it when people are that into worship, when they understand and sense the closeness of God in his presence in our very midst. God is near you. He loves you deeply. He's concerned about the intimate details of your life. So is it wrong for us to, to think about that? Heavens no. Unless in the process we lose our sense of awe of a holy and majestic God. It's best to acknowledge and approach God with both his holiness and his accessibility fully in our hearts. That's a very difficult balance to keep. Transcendence and eminence. And yet it's seen so clearly in our text. There's a danger in emphasizing either extreme. Since the church is currently riding the pendulum on the side of God's eminence, we need to be aware of the potential theological errors about God on this side of center. Those are the things that we have to deal with the most now. Um, when God's eminence is overemphasized, we tend to focus on experience, our experience with God. 
We're told in Scripture that God has revealed Himself through Jesus and in His Word. And, and since we were not alive when Jesus was on the earth, we are dependent on God's Word to tell us about Jesus, who informed us about God, the three-in-one, the triune God. When people begin to lie on personal experience or personal thoughts about God rather than than, than on the truth revealed in Scripture. It's very easy to get off course, and we've talked about this over and over. Here's the straight line, and you may just be slightly off course, but if you go long enough, you're going to be way off course. And though an error about the nature of God may seem small, if it's pursued to its logical end, it can be quite uh, troubling theologically. So all of this takes us... To a few minutes to think about the book and movie uh, by Paul Young, The Shack. Although this is a work of fiction, he very much wants to teach us about God. He goes around to churches and talks about the God that he knows, the God that he has sensed, the God that he understands. Uh, The main character in this book is a man named Mackenzie Phillips, whose daughter Missy was abducted on a family camping trip while he was trying to rescue his son who was in a canoe accident and was drowning. So he pulls his son out only to realize that his daughter uh, has (coughs) been abducted. And when Missy's bloodstained dress was found in an abandoned shack in the Oregon mountains, it was assumed that she had been murdered. As you can imagine, Mac, who was a Christian, struggles emotionally. My goodness, who would not in such a case? And as a Christian, he begins to doubt God's love and goodness. Three years after Missy was abducted, Mac receives a note in the mail saying that if he would like to, maybe he should come up and and, and meet up with Papa. Papa is the name that his wife, Nan, has given to the father. She calls the father uh, Papa, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. When he arrives, Mac is met by an African-American woman who represents God the Father, played in the movie by Octavia Spencer. She's a great actress. She calls herself Papa. This will be shocking to you, but Jesus is represented by a Middle Eastern carpenter, a Jewish carpenter. And then a mysterious Asian woman named Sarah Yu, who wisp about, represents the Holy Spirit. Before Mac ever gets to the shack, Paul Young lets us know that God reveals himself to us in new, new ways. And he doesn't limit himself to the pages of scripture, especially to the interpreters of scripture like Athanasius and the three Cappadocians and theologically trained pastors around the world today. Of course, Mac has been to seminary, so he is qualified to make the following statement as he muses about God. I want you to think about this deeply now. In seminary, he had been taught that God had completely stopped any covert communication with moderns, preferring to have them only listen and follow sacred scriptures, properly interpreted, of course. God's voice had been reduced to paper, and even that paper had to be moderated and deciphered by the proper authorities and intellects. 
It seemed that direct communication with God was something exclusively for the ancients and uncivilized, while educated Westerners' access to God was mediated and controlled by the intelligentsia. Nobody wanted God in a box, just in a book, especially an expensive one bound in leather with gilt pages, or was that gilt pages? This stops just short of expressing contempt for biblical teaching by trained pastors, teachers. Or does it stop short? The result is a fictional book about God that very much has the feel of, well, look, I, I, just, I just think this about the Trinity and you need to know this, this as well and be rescued from institutional Christianity. It's not that Young doesn't use scripture in theological terms in the book. He, he does. But ultimately, he has come to the specific conclusion that God, uh, uh, about God based on what he wants God to be like. It's a classic error of man making God in his own image. To be sure, some of the things that Young says about God are extremely well said. And as someone, again, with a broken heart, whose heart was broken at the time the book was released, I understand why it's just so very appealing. When Mac first gets to the cabin, he sees Papa, and before he can even turn around, she has enveloped him in her arms, and she says, Mackenzie Allen Phillips. She pulls him back, and he grabs him by his shoulders, and she said, Mac, look at you. Here you are, and so grown up. I have really been looking forward to seeing you face to face it is so wonderful to have you here with us. My, 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 how I do love you. I understand how that appeals to a broken heart. But at the same time, there are problems galore with this depiction of the Lord, of the Lord and the ideas taught about God. And look. When you get emotionally attached to something, truth takes a backseat. It's very easy for that to happen if you are not careful. If you don't start with truth and move to emotions. If you go the other way, you can be in trouble in a hurry. So there are several problems with the ideas and theology about God presented in this story. And the first is, I have a problem with God being represented by a woman. Uh, really, or a, a man like, like Morgan Freeman. I have a problem with any human being representing God, but especially by a woman, since God is always represented as a male in Scripture. I read a review in, this morning in the Orange County Register in California that said, if God is like Octavia Spencer, then Lord, take me to church. That's the kind of God we want, isn't it? That kind of loving, fried chicken, biscuit making, <laughs> wonderful, caring, compassionate father who just happens to be a, a woman. God is said in scripture to have loving, compassionate characteristics like a mother. But he is always presented to us in masculine terms. And don't mess with that. Just don't mess with it. Well, it's not very uh, PC. I don't care. It's in the Word. Don't mess with it. 
Second, as appealing as this scene is, it speaks only to God's eminence and says nothing of his transcendence. God the Father is never clearly seen in any account in Scripture. We don't get a good glimpse or understanding of God the Father. He's nothing like Papa of the shack. Look, there are two places you want to see where God the Father is revealed in Scripture. Go to Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4. And I can tell you, you're not going to make sense of those visions. Both Ezekiel and the Apostle John had real trouble describing. It's like they start off with this human-like figure, but it just melts. It's just, they can't even describe it, but they can't understand what and who this person is. Well, what he is. They know who he is, but they can't overcome the distance that is between the Father and us. Thank goodness for Jesus. Thank goodness for him. The last problem I have with this portrayal about God the Father is an elaboration of this second problem. It's that Papa is entirely too familiar for the role of God the Father. As much as you want the word Abba to mean Papa or Daddy, it just doesn't. It's the Aramaic term for Father. And if anything, it's more toward the formal side than it is the familiar side. Look, uh, it, it, it's, it's a term of respect. Don't ask me. How it got so confused, I don't know. Um, many years ago, I, I was going to preach. I was preaching for Romans 9, I think it was, or 8, where he talks about Abba Father. We've been given the spirit of adoption. And, you know, I'm doing my requisite study. You have to study before I... I was all prepared to talk about how this God is the most intimate, loving God. And the Father is just like the Papa of the shack. You know, he's that kind of tender and caring, but every single person that I read said, no, this is a formal declaration. It's like father and a serious understanding of father. Um, so Abba is a term of respect for one's father, and that's not the, the sense that one gets in the shack. So if you've been using the term Papa... For God, most likely he's been in heaven like this saying, don't call me that, right? No. Look, God loves your heart. He knows your heart. He, underst he, he, he is patient with your misunderstanding and mischaracterizations. Um, look, but it's like being a small child. How, how a small child will just run up to his parents anytime. And, and ask for a, a, a favor here. The, hey, mom, can we do this? Hey, dad, I want to do... But the older they get, the more they understand the place of authority and they, they, they stand back and wait with respect. That's the way we ought to be with the Lord. The more we know about Him, the more we should treat Him as His position and His awesome holiness deserves. Not out of fear, but out of respect. Well, to keep from going all day, I'll just give two more concerns and then we'll close. Uh, there's, there's a lot more about the book and about the Trinity that I want to say. At the shack, Mac notices that Papa has scars on her wrist. And he says, I thought it was Jesus who died on the cross. And she says, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. I was there. 
And Max says, but what about the time when, when, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Papa answers, I didn't forsake him. I didn't forsake you when Missy was taken. I was at the cross. I was there. Now, this is a problem. What happened on the cross? Jesus took our sins upon himself. Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God is, a, is so holy that he cannot look upon sin with favor. When Jesus took our sins upon himself, the Father's wrath was being poured out on Jesus the Son. There's another thing in the, in the movie, and I didn't recall this from the book. But he said something about, you're wrathful. And she said, oh no, I'm not about wrath. Sin has its own consequences. That's enough. I'm not about wrath. He is about wrath. We have to know that. We have to understand that God's holiness, it's part of his character. He cannot deny himself. And so consequently, he must pour out wrath on sin. Well, fortunately, Jesus got in the way of that. And when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the wrath of God was poured out on him. Jesus suffered the equivalent of an eternity of hell on the cross. And the presentation about God in this story is really uh, diminishes greatly what was happening there. Um, it, there is no, and I can assure you of this, you won't see Nail scars in the wrist of the Father. You, I, I, there's no indication of, in, in Scripture that we will ever be able to discern where the wrists of God the Father are. As far as I can tell in Scripture, the only person of the Trinity we will see throughout eternity is Jesus. Now, it may be different, but if so, He has not revealed that to us. We don't know that. We'll understand perfectly one day, even as we are understood. Well, one last concern, uh, though there are more. Paul Young admits that he has nothing to do with the institutionalized church because he's been hurt by the church. In, exchange, in an exchange between Jesus and Mac, Jesus says this, I don't create institutions. That's an occupation for those who want to play God. So no, I'm not too big on religion and not very fond of politics and economics either. And why should I be? They are the man-made trinity of terrors that ravage the earth and deceive those I care about. So Young takes a shot at the organized church by saying that Jesus is against it. But it doesn't add up with Scripture. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And in fact, a little later in Ephesians 5, it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He shed his blood for the church. And so for him in the story to say, ah, psh, it's like politics. What was the other one that he said? It's uh, the, 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 the Trinity. Politics and economics. 
Every time the church is addressed in the New Testament epistles, a local church, or as Jung would say, an institutional church, is being addressed. Jesus loves the church. And in fact, there is no other way to relate to God properly than through the context of covenant community. You'll talk about this in home groups this week. But when a person was put outside of the church in the early days, according to Jesus' teaching in, in, in Matthew 18, it was as though they were outside of Christ. And what he says in Matthew 16, all put together, makes us think we ought to as Protestants in America. We think we can just do this, do that, go anywhere we want. Whenever we get a little bit upset because somebody said something that, that hurt our feelings, we can just go somewhere. You're playing with fire when you do that. Don't do it. If you re leave a church, leave for gospel reasons. Jesus loves the church. He loves Grace Community Church. He loves you. Make, make no mistake about that. But do not make the state, mistake of interpreting God by your experiences. But rather, see God and believe Him as he, that He is who He says He is in Scripture. When life doesn't make sense, trust Him. And that's a truth that Paul Young gets very, very right in this story. Trust God. Trust God when it doesn't make sense. He brings beautiful things out of chaos. When you think about it, it's not amazing that a sentimental God of our own making would love us. It is, though, beyond comprehension that the holy creator and God of this universe, as revealed in Scripture, would, in spite of our sins, love us so much that he made made a way for us to live with Him, our sins forgiven, in eternity. What better way to end our time than to gather at the Lord's table where we remember the significance of the cross and the life that we now have in Christ because of Jesus' death and because the wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus instead of on us. Before we come to this table, let's stand and sing the doxology. If you would, just please stand. And we'll sing it together a cappella. Praise God. Thank you. Be seated. Uh, let me invite all those who confess Jesus Christ, all baptized believers in Jesus Christ, those who've repented of their sins and, and trusted him to join us at this table today. In Mark chapter 14, we're told, and as they were eating, he took bread. Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup. 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Romans 3, I was thinking about that text, and I don't know, I may spend time on it somewhere in this, in this um, series where it talks about the cross enable God to be both just and the justifier of those who believe. He's just in that His holiness is not compromised, but He justifies us because Jesus took our place. That's what's happening here. And that's what Jesus meant when He said, this is my body. He raised that bread and He said, this is my body. And He took the cup and He said, this is my blood of the new covenant. God is entering into covenant, into relationship with us through the death of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 3, He talks about how the fact that God was looking forward to the cross. You hear people say, well, this, we look back to the cross, those in the past, those before Jesus looked forward to the cross. No, they, they didn't understand the cross. They didn't, they didn't get any of that. But God was looking forward to the cross. This, is, this, this, this meal that we take celebrates the horror and, and incredible beauty of the cross and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It looks back, it, it, it's in the present, and it looks forward to the day when Jesus returns. It's no small thing for us to come to this table. God tells us, don't take this lightly. This is a very serious moment, but it's a moment in which we find forgiveness. So I'll give just a moment for you to pray, and if there's anything you need to just say, Lord, I confess it. And if you've confessed it 600 times this year, make it 601 and come to this table. If it's 666 times, we've got a problem with that number. But 600, you're good. So, so deal with your sin by saying, Jesus, you dealt with my sin, and I confess. I believe. Just Pray for a moment, if you would, son. Father, we recognize you as the gracious and compassionate and tender and personal God of Psalm 103. Where we almost feel like we're enveloped by the love of a father who puts his arms around us and speaks tenderly through us. We know this compassionate, loving, forgiving side of who you are through your son Jesus. And the spirit of God binds our hearts together as you bind us to you at this meal. And so we give thanks for the body of Christ that was broken and for the blood that was spilled that served as a propitiation, a satisfaction, a complete exhaustion of your wrath upon sin, uh, on our sin that fell on Jesus that we're grateful. And as we partake 
of the bread and the fruit of the vine. We do so with great anticipation when we will eat and drink with Jesus in person in the kingdom. So, Lord, we know that you are here among us. And we pray that our hearts would rise with gratitude for what you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the benediction comes to us today from uh, the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.